we want to look at a couple things together tonight about the Christmas season, obviously. Uh, my wife and I grew up in unsaved homes, and uh, when we grew up, uh, there was all the fixings around our homes with uh, the celebration of Christmas that was really not understood by unregenerated people. They, of course, had all of the fixings and trappings. I remember Santa Claus uh, being taught to me as a young person and uh, really believing the whole story and, you know, buying into it all. And then I saw Mummy kissing Santa Claus, and that, you know, kind of blew it all for me. Uh, you know, and, and as, as Nancy and I... Uh, Nancy and I were married uh, before we had children. We were married for four years before we had Amy. Uh, we decided that we weren't going to do that. Now, if you do that, that's fine. I, that's your household. You do what you wish. But we wanted the kids to focus on uh, what the Word of God said. The trouble is, is that a lot of their little friends uh, practiced, you know, the perception of Santa Claus and everything. And my daughter squealed on us to our nephews and nieces, and that caused a problem in the household, you know. But you just, you don't, you, you, you do these things as, as part of the season. Um, you know, I mentioned people made fun of me and even brought me some gag things on penguins. What do they have to do with Christmas? Here they are down in the South Pole, right? And uh, what do they have to do with anything? Everyone knows Santa lives in the North Pole. You know, how does that all go together? Uh, and I didn't know there was a little drummer boy, did you? I didn't know he was there. I had no idea. And, you know, all these things are figments of people's imagination. It doesn't mean they're horrible and sinful. Uh, I, I'm not saying that. All I am saying is a lot of these things are romantic. If we really want to know the truth of the Scriptures and the hard truth of the Scriptures, uh, we have to look at what God's words has to say. Because the season can envelop you with the warm and fuzzies, and it might none of it is true, uh, and there may, there may be little smidgens of truth in it, uh, but that doesn't mean, um, it does not necessarily mean what is being sold by the world is truth at all. So we want to make sure that we know what God's Word says, and of course you know this, you're here tonight to, to, uh, to worship together with us, and this is preaching to the choir, if you would. You all know this. I want to look at uh, one man's picture of this whole business, and that's King David. Uh, you might be surprised uh, to know that uh, as a premier uh, individual in the Old Testament and uh, throughout, mentioned throughout the New Testament, there's a few thousand times King David is mentioned, a uh, few thousand times in the Scriptures. So can we say he's pretty up there as far as premier people in the Scriptures uh, our concern. And I wanted to look at uh, a few verses surrounding David and what David said, and I think we can put it together for uh, this time of year and some thoughts about it together, looking at what David said. Uh, first of all, head with me to Acts chapter 2, just for a moment. I want to break into a part of a verse here, and you'll see why I'm doing this when we, when we get there. Uh, but this, of course, is uh, Peter's great discussion Peter's great message concerning uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming, obviously, his uh, truth, the truth surrounding him. Um, but there's a statement made, and let's look at, we're in uh, Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 22 for a moment. 
Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. So obviously there was a birth because he had to grow up to be of this age where he began to do his ministry at age 30 and until uh, age 33 was uh, signs, wonders, miracles. Uh, verse uh, 23, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan right from the beginning. Born to die, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. It was God's plan, but you're guilty of murder. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Verse 25 is what I'm interested in. For David speaketh concerning him. I guess so. <laughs> if you look throughout the entire scriptures, that and most of what David wrote in the Psalms, it all points to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's just amazing. It's, by the way, you know this, of course, because we teach it here and you, you, you're familiar with it. That's why you're here. The whole Bible is about him. The whole Bible is about him. But the second responsibility within the scriptures is your responsibility to him. The whole Bible is about him. And as a second tier to that, it's your responsibility to him. That is, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you say you do, okay, you must follow him. This man's responsibility is contained within the scriptures all about him. So we, we read about David. David spoke concerning him. And there's not time for us to look at all the passages of scripture pertaining to uh, David and the Messiah. But I'd like to see you to see just for a moment with me what the Lord Jesus said. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, please. Luke chapter 24. This, of course, is... is uh, post-resurrection and pre-ascension. We're in Luke chapter 24. These men on the Emmaus road, of course, they are uh, they're downhearted. When the Lord Jesus meets them, I believe it was a husband and wife, and, and we could go through that sometime if you're interested, but the two people on the Emmaus road, they're dejected. Now, why, is the, why are they dejected? Because uh, Messiah came, and they were probably worshipers of uh, Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Then he's killed, and then he's put in a grave, and some of the disciples said they couldn't find him. He wasn't in there, and some even thought he rose. But these two people are pretty discouraged. And we see that in chapter 24. Look at verse 21. But we hoped that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since those things were done. We hope that he would be the one to redeem Israel. But he's dead, and we haven't seen him for three days. So there's a bit of a dejection there, you know, rejection of, by the Lord. They're thinking, well, what, what, what's going on with all this? And then the Lord rebukes them. This is interesting. Um, it's a kind rebuke, I think a, a loving rebuke, but it's a rebuke because he says in verse 25, Then he said unto them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning him. The whole Bible's about him. The whole thing about him, 
it, about God and God's purposes. It's about who God is and God's purposes. So he, he runs through the whole scriptures. Wouldn't you love to be there? Oh, yeah, well, Moses said this here and here. This was about me. Uh, you know, Jeremiah said this. This was about me. He brought them all through the scriptures telling them where the prophecies were concerning himself. They must have been there for several hours. They must have sat there for a long time. You know, you can get the picture. Okay, enough, enough, I know. <laughs> it's all about him. But I want you to notice something else, please, if you could. Look with me, please, at um, verse 44. And he said unto them, this is the gathering of disciples, he said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that in all things you... Uh, that in all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me, the writings of David. Of course, there were other writings besides David. Moses, uh, uh, Solomon had a few in there as well. There's, there's Asaph, uh, Asaph, and there was a few more. But when uh, the Psalms attributed to David, there, there's just a ton, a ton of uh, references to the Lord Jesus as Messiah. So we want to look at, just for a few moments, please, if we can, uh, the Lord Jesus, his birth, and his Messiahship uh, via David. So let's look, please, first at 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have the promise to David about Messiah coming through his line. And we see that, and you're familiar with this as well. The guys cover this as we go through uh, the book of Samuel in our study together through the Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look please with me at verse 12. <clears throat> Talking to David, of course, in verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed of the, out of thine own body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, of course, that would be Solomon that's being set up, but... I want you to notice how it builds into Messiah. Verse 15, And he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now we know that Solomon uh, was really taken from his kingdom, was he not? Uh, he, he died, and it was handed over to Rehoboam, and then the kingdom, of course, was divided under Rehoboam. So he's pointing to this line from David all the way down through Solomon. And keep on going, if you would, please, in verse uh, 13, uh, verse 14. And I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, for as, as I took it from Saul, uh, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, and thy throne shall be established forever. We know, of course, that leads all the way to Messiah. The Messiah was going to come through King David's line, and Messiah would be established. Now, keep your, you don't have to keep your hand here. Turn with me to the 132nd Psalm for a moment, and look with me, please, at verse 11, the 132nd Psalm. And we'll just skip to verse 11. The Lord sw hath sworn uh, in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. For the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy, 
uh, thy throne. From the fruit of thy body, that is the lineage of David, Messiah would come through the fruit of his body. And as you chase that down, you see all of the, the working of Satan trying to destroy the seed, trying to destroy the lineage, uh, all the work of Satan. And we've seen that before. But the promise was it would be through the line of David. Messiah must come through the line of David. And of course, turn with me for a moment, please, to um, Isaiah chapter... Well, while you're there, turn with me back to the 89th Psalm, the third passage of the 89th Psalm. We could, uh, we could pick it up right in verse 1 and head all the way down. But notice in, in uh, the 89th Psalm, look at verse 3, please. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Now, this obviously, this is the promise of David's kingdom being established forever. I've sworn unto David. So the Lord said the seed would come all the way through the lineage of David. Now to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. And we looked at this uh, before. I don't want to go to the passage, though, that you're thinking of. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the child is born. But pick it up, please. In verse 7, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, uh, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with justice and with righteousness from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, etc. And who is the one? He's... From the lineage, verse 7 tells us, of David, David's throne. So David wrote, uh, Peter said, David spoke about him. I guess he did. All the way through David's writings, he references uh, Messiah. The promise continued, by the way, <coughs> right into the Babylonian captivity. I'd like you to see that. Turn with me to Jer Jeremiah chapter 23. The promise was made to David. And right through the Babylonian captivity, now if you were there, which we were not, it's hard to imagine uh, what that must have been like. When Nebuchadnezzar came in, in a three-tier system, came in and took away, first of all, took away all the young men and young women. Uh, just swept them up, took them away. Daniel was part of that. His troops came back, and then he came back the final time and decimated and the only ones, Jeremiah said, left in the, uh, in the city of Jerusalem, the capital city of the world in its day, the only ones left were the, the weak and the feeble and the old. That was all that was left. Can you imagine going from the capital of the world to complete devastation? And now all of those people are taken away captive, and Jeremiah comes up with this promise, a beautiful promise, we're in Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at, please, starting in verse 6. Well, let's pick it up in verse 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the earth. Who was that? Messiah. In the middle of the greatest devastation that the nation of Israel ever faced and ever will face, the promise of Messiah. God has not left his people hopeless. And you know what's wonderful about that? That same promise rings true to us. Our Messiah has come, but the Lord said he's coming back. And no matter how hopeless your situation seems, 
no matter how discouraged that you can get, no matter how sickly we may get, God has a promise for us. Hang on. Hang on. Trust me. Believe me. Believe my word. And can you imagine how many, probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jews died in the captivity? And yet God said his promise would be true. Messiah will come. And so those Old Testament people who believed the word of God, and it was accounted unto them for righteousness' sake, we as New Testament Christians believe the word of God, and it is righteousness, because he's the one we believe in. That promise holds true. Pick it up in verse 6. And in his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And, his and, uh, and this is his name, whereby... Uh, he shall be, uh, called, be called the Lord, our righteousness. Notice he's the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, who, who brought up the children out of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. So the, the, the promise of Messiah, he's the one that's going to come. And even that was in the, a promise in the most devastating of times. David's branch, David, out of David's righteous branch shall come. Many times, I think it's up to the interpreter, uh, we look at scripture passages, and because uh, some prophecies are difficult for us to, <coughs> to put it exactly in line, it's almost as if you're uh, driving, some of you don't know what this is, but inside of your car you can have this thing called the radio, and there's actually stations on there if you listen to it uh, but uh, you're driving for example when I drive to Florida would be driving and I'd be listening to messages uh, from different parts of the eastern coast United States and I'd be listening to a great message and all of a sudden it would start fading out fading out fading out and a new one would come in and sometimes it was hard to distinguish where the fade was and where where it all ended but what's interesting is prophecy sometimes is like that you're reading about David or you're reading about Jeremiah and, and there's a, a passage thrown in there about Messiah. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is read it as the person of Jeremiah and not the Messiah. And uh, did it pertain to Jeremiah? Did it pertain to David? Well, yes, it did. But behind that, behind the, the bold print there is the print of Messiah. Now, how could you know that? Well, when you go into the New Testament, you see these references all the way back. It's, it's about him. It's about the Lord Jesus. And you can't know that just by reading. You've got to know that by studying as you look at the Word of God. And the, the more you study the Word of God, the deeper your well gets and the more you see. The more you see. That's why some people struggle so greatly as they, uh, as they come up with in Bible passages. And it may be, uh, first of all, they're not ready to know what that means. They haven't studied enough or... They're not willing to know what that means because they're not studying at all. So we need, we need as, as Christians, we need to see the Lord our righteousness, again mentioned in the New Testament. Who was it? None other than Messiah himself. So let's look, if we can, please. When we see the references of his first coming, Old Testament, Old Testament theology concerning his first coming, we also read ab about his second coming in the Old Testament when he's coming back to establish his kingdom. So when you read something about the Lord Jesus uh, as Messiah, is it talking about when he came for his first coming to earth, or is it talking about when he's coming from his 
second coming to set up his millennial kingdom. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 12 for a moment, please. Zechariah chapter 12. This reference of him coming to earth is in his second coming. That is, he first came, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. The next time he comes, he is the Lord, our righteousness. He's the one that's going to come in the clouds of the air with the armies that will follow him, both angelic beings and believers. But in Zechariah, we read about him coming, and this coming is in his second coming, not his first coming. We're in Zechariah chapter 12. Look at verse 2 for a moment. The Lord says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the peoples round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. During, uh, in the, uh, the book of the Revelation, we read about um, the battle of Armageddon. Now, you're all familiar with that. When our Lord Jesus himself is going to come down and fight the battle of Armageddon. But you have to kind of chase this through a little bit to find out the exact order of things. As he returns in his second coming to earth, we read that there's going to be battles in several different places. And I won't have you turn there. We, we mentioned it in, in the book of the Revelation, chapter 20. He, he comes, and the question is asked, his, his garments are stained with blood when he comes down to earth. This is in his second coming. And some people say, well, what does that mean, his garments are stained with blood? And people say, well, that's our blood. No, no, it's not his blood, and it's not our blood. It's the blood of the armies that he has devastated and destroyed. Literally, the Savior is going to be stained with the blood of men from the battles. It's, a, it's a, just horrible to even think about, but that's what the Scriptures tell us. And so the Lord Jesus is being laid out for us. This is him. This is the one that's going to come. This is he. In verse uh, 3, In that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all peoples, all, the burden, uh, all that burden themselves. And, uh, and, it, and with it shall be cut in pieces through all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. All the nations of the earth. This is what we know to be this battle of Armageddon. And what happens? Pick it up in verse 4. And in that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with terror and every rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall uh, say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth uh, of fire among the wood and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the peoples round about on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. And the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of the Lord and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. And in that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. You see the picture when, just when Israel thinks that the they're hopeless. It's over. The nations of the world have come to invade 
Jerusalem, the, the 200 million man army from the Far East come. And then, <coughs> excuse me, Antichrist and all the armies of the world come to defeat uh, Messiah in Jerusalem. And God's going to give supernatural ability to the men of, of Jerusalem to fight back. The most feeble of them will be like David, a mighty warrior. Imagine what that's like. Can you just see uh, the armies coming in to Jerusalem? And here's one man that can withstand thousands and thousands of people. Just like the angel of the Lord, 185,000 Assyrian troops. When, when uh, Samuel, uh, Samson rather, had uh, God's supernatural power, he def defeated armies with the jawbone of an ass. Uh, God will give supernatural powers and abilities to these men to defend themselves until he comes. Now, what's he going to do? Well, when he, before he gets to Jerusalem, we read he, he, he has invaded Basra. Basra, as far as we know, is, an, is in the southern part of the Dead Sea. And there, there'll be a giant group of men, probably the Egyptians, uh, probably the Saudi Arabians. All these people come up, and they camp at the southern end of the, of the Dead Sea before they're getting ready to attack the nation of Israel. And there... That's where Messiah uh, lands and, uh, and is splatted with blood before he comes up into Jerusalem. But notice what it says. Keep on going, if you would, please. Picking it up in verse 8 again. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he, shall, and he that is feeble among them, and that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So again, this battle of Armageddon is, is wrapped up in Zechariah. But if you don't rightly dis, uh, discern the word of truth as the Jews misunderstood, as the Jews did not take this in its context, they think that when their Messiah would come, he would be the mighty defender of the nation. He'd be like King David and drive out the Roman Empire. But what happened? Well, he first came as the lamb. It was unacceptable with them. They expected a warrior king. Will you at this time establish a kingdom? Jesus said, that's not the purpose I came. I didn't come to establish it. I came to seek and save those who were lost. So you and I, as we look at the prophecies concerning Messiah and his, his birth, we see uh, plainly for us, but recognize the world doesn't see it that way. The world just does not view it that way. So the fulfillment of his first coming was what we call the incarnation of Christ. Now let's look at a couple more passages. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 for a moment, please. Hebrews chapter 2, very familiar to you. Though he was greater than the angels... Though he is greater than Moses, the whole book of Hebrew points about Messiah being greater than, greater than, greater than, obviously. But we read in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 2 something that just simply throws us, it throws me for a loop, obviously. But in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with honor and 
uh, with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So he, if you would, uh, took on himself the third level of personal beings. You have God himself, then the angels, and then man. He took upon himself flesh. I must confess it's hard for us to understand that. Let's check another verse that's hard for us to understand. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. The God-man took upon himself flesh that he might taste death for every man. Look, if you would, please, in verse 5. Very familiar passages. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form, in essence, not the external, the inner essence, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, the resemblance, similitude, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's what's just so... Uh, Remarkable for us, the God-man, the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, took upon human flesh. Why? Because if he was not human flesh, he could not die. Angels don't die. Spirit beings don't die. Every spirit being that was ever created is still created, still there. They have not aged. They do not wax old. They are there. That's why when, um, when men talk about, well, uh, let's see, the... You know, all, all of the, the beings, they say, well, uh, back in the book of Genesis, well, uh, the sons of men and uh, the sons of God and the daughters of men cohabitated, and you had these beings that were formed. And what were they? Well, some people think that they were half spirit and, and they were half demon and half men. Well, none of that adds up. None of that adds up because spirits cannot die. And as far as I know, once God cleaned out the whole mess, there was only a few of them left, right? Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. They all died. They all perished in the flood, the scriptures tell us. So you can't have a half demon or a half spirit man and a half uh, and a, and a, and a human being. This just, just doesn't work. But with the God man, that was God's total, total purpose. So when the Lord Jesus died on Calvary's cross, what did he do? He said he dismissed the spirit, the Bible tells us. He told the Holy Spirit, you can go. And then the man died on Calvary's cross. The remarkable passage of Scripture. Just remarkable passage of Scripture. But what about this man, the, the Lord Jesus? Well, recognize, of course, he tabernacled. He came and he tented among us. I, I find it fascinating. Here's God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and he was hungry, hungry. He wept. He was tired. He's tired. He, he felt the, everything, the scriptures tell us, like us, times Googleplex, or however you say that. Every, every pain you've ever felt, he felt that 10 trillion times beyond you. Any temptation you've ever felt, he felt it 10 trillion times beyond you. He was in all points tested like as we are, yet outside of sin. Everything, so when we come to him, we don't come to someone who doesn't know. 
the book of Hebrews tells us, he knows fully our needs. He knows the temptation that comes upon us. It, by experience, he was outside of it, but by experience, he knows. And so he, we can go to him with anything that is upsetting to us, and he'll know about it. As a, as a pastor going through biblical counseling, sometimes I've had people come to my office and uh, they tell me the, the grief in their life or the problems in their life, and I've, I've never been, I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. I don't know what that's like. And of course, I, can, I still show them from the scriptures what God's word says. But think about our Savior. He, he knows completely. When we go to him, it's in complete confidence because he knows everything we're going through, every single thing to the last second. Well, this one, the Messiah to come, had to be of the tribe of Judah. And you know what's very interesting? If you look it up, you'll find out, guess where Jesus was from? Guess what tribe he was from? Of course, from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion, we read in the book of the Revelation, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He had to be from David's family, obviously, uh, from the tribe of Judah, part of David's family. Turn with me to uh, the 78th Psalm for a moment, please. David writing, and look with me, please, at verse 65. The 78th Psalm, six, verse 65, and we'll read 65 right down through, uh, through verse 70. Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep, and like a mighty man who shouteth by reason of wine, he smote his enemies in the hinder pots, and he put them in uh, perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah. And the uh, let me read that again. But chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built a sanctuary like the high places, like the earth, which he had established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. Notice the tribe of Judah choosing out David. You have both aspects together. Why? Because Messiah needed to be from the tribe of Judah, and he needed to be from the lineage of David. Both those things had to go together, and they went together, by the, well, by the way, very, very perfectly. His kingly line... The scriptures tell us the wonderful kingly line of uh, uh, the Lord Jesus came down through Joseph, through Joseph. But remember, Joseph's line was cursed through Kaniah. But what's interesting about this, as you follow Mary's genealogy, it brought in uh, the Davidic line as well. Go, go with me, please, to Luke, Luke chapter uh, 1, if you will. Look at verse 26 for a moment, please. Luke 1, 26. Actually, we'll, we'll go beyond that. But notice in uh, verse 26, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And notice who she's from? From the house of David. And, of course, the greeting about the child being born. Picking up in verse 32, and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now Joseph was, of course, uh, the Lord Jesus was adopted by Joseph as, as uh, into his family, but 
Mary is the one responsible for the lineage of the Lord Jesus, being an adopted father and being his, his birth uh, mother. And you can see that as you ch chase down through the genealogies. I won't have you uh, go there, but if you check out Matthew's genealogy, such and such begat, such and such begat, such and such, and when you reach Mary and Joseph, it says that Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, and it does not say begot the Lord Jesus because it wasn't from Joseph's seed, right? It's through the Spirit of God. So we have the, the wonder of, of all God's promises. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 1 for a moment, please. Not only was from, he from David's in Luke chapter 1, look with me please at verse 8 for a moment. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office, of course, um, this is John the Baptist, uh, baptizes father, Zacharias. And it came to pass while he executed the priest's office bef before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he turned, uh, when he went into the temple of the Lord. Uh, the high priest, the priestly Levitical line, would uh, draw lots as to what their uh, jobs were going to be in the temple. And uh, one time you would be part of the fire crew to bring in the wood, and another time you might be part of the cleaning crew. You might be part of uh, taking care of the inside of the holy place. Uh, it just depended on how the lots were drawn. But, uh, of course, in the providence of God, Zechariah draws the lot to go inside. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And uh, when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. In verse 14, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his uh, mother's womb. So you have this forerunner of Christ coming in to announce Messiah. Behold, Messiah, he's the Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world. He's called Jesus of Nazareth. He's called the Son of David. As you travel all the way through uh, the scriptures, he's referenced as thou Son of David. For example, uh, blind Bartimaeus was screaming out, thou Son of David. Why? Because they recognized that he was Messiah. It wasn't that he uh, was, uh, his lineage counted as much, but that Messiah would come through the line of David, uh, the declaration of the Lord Jesus. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. I'm almost out of time here. Revelation chapter 22. David, uh, the, uh, David promised the Messiah would come through that line, through God's word, obviously. In Revelation chapter 22, look at verse 16 for a moment, please. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Our Lord Jesus proclaimed himself to be that son of David. So as we looked at these things, as you look at these things down through the scriptures, you recognize David said, for example, uh, in Isaiah 9, 6, he's called the everlasting father. David said in the 90th Psalm that 
God is from everlasting to everlasting. Was that not a, a reference to Messiah? It's to God, obviously, but also to the Messiah himself. And then, of course, um, when the Lord Jesus in John chapter 2 went in and cleaned, cleansed the temple, and he said to his disciples, the zeal of my father's house has eaten me up. Well, that was a quote from David, because David quoted about him, that the Lord Jesus would say that. So as you look at David, when the scriptures tell us David spoke about him, I, I guess he did. We, we're out of time now, but if you turn to the 22nd Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, and the 24th Psalm, I'm sure you're aware of this. Bible uh, commentators and Bible scholars talk about uh, in the 22nd Psalm is the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And my, my bones are out of joint, etc. The cross. And then uh, you look at the, the crook of the Lord Jesus. Crook meaning the staff of a, of a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then in the 24th Psalm, you look at the crown. Messiah is going to be crowned forever. Who wrote that? David. When Peter said David spoke of him, I guess he did, a few thousand times in the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your Word. And Father, we recognize as we come into this time of year, uh, we, we celebrate the birth of Christ, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Uh, we're able to speak about him. Perhaps we can talk to some people who will never talk to us about anything else, uh, religious. And yet, Father, we can speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose for his coming. We thank you, Father, that uh, we can read from the scriptures the truth. And though the world taints it and twists it and turns it and makes it uh, just a time of partying, we know that it was a time uh, where... Uh, the greatest announcement was made to the nation of Israel. For unto you was born this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Thank you, Father, for his first coming. We await his coming to earth in what is known as the great translation of the saints. And then, Father, we recognize one day he'll come to rule and reign the world forever. Thank you for our time together. I pray for each one. Uh, as we worship, as we celebrate together this time of year. Help us have a wonderful time. Help us, Lord, not to get caught up with the season or uh, with the heartaches that can come with it. Even depression can come this time of year. Father, help us just to focus upon the one who made it all possible. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.